Welcome to episode number six in the series on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. My name is Father Jacob Powell, and again, we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Blessed Virgin, Our Lady, most powerful, help us and be with us here and now. Last class, as a recap, we spoke about three of the four uh, most Im important ends to which the Mass serves. That is, we talked about worship, thanksgiving, propitiation. And then we mentioned petition, but as I said at the end, uh, that it will, this class will be saved to go much more in depth into the importance of petition, both in reference to the Mass and just in general. Last class, we spoke about how because of God's perfection, His infinitude, that is, He is infinite, His internality, He is eternal, His omniscience and omnipotence, all of His perfect goodness and attributes and all of this means we simply can't, as human creatures, worship Him in the way that we should. We can't repay Him for the gifts that He's given us, both in life, in existence, in salvation, and any other types of gifts uh, like our family and other things. We cannot give to Him what is truly owed from us to Him. Therefore, in His rich goodness, God sends His own Son, the Father sends His own Son, in order to supply a form of worship that will be so pleasing, so perfect, that in fact we will, even as human creatures that are sinful, when united to this form of worship, we will be able to give due and right and just and holy worship to God that is only worthy of Him alone. Likewise, thanksgiving, that we are actually able to participate in and offer in unison with Jesus Christ in giving thanks to the Father. Thanks for what? Thanks for our salvation. Thanks for His holy will. Thanks for His creation. Thanks for everything, particularly sending His Holy Son and Him and the Son sending the Holy Ghost for the sake of our salvation and for the sake of elevating us uh, to participate and share in the life of God that is eternal life to sanctify us, in other words, and to sanctify us in profound ways that the more we cooperate with His graces, the more profound this sanctity, the higher the level of grace on earth, the higher level of glory in heaven. And then also we spoke about propitiation, that because of our grievous sins, that we certainly owe God an excessive due, an excessive debt. In fact, there are saints that speak about how they are surprised when they have clarity, finally, about how offensive just a single venial sin is. Just a single venial sin. Now you think about all of the people in the world, over 8 billion from my understanding, and you think about how probably all of them maybe, for the exception of a very, very small few, sin absolutely every day. And then you think of the vast majority sin well over one time. In fact, many probably sin a uh, hundred times or two hundred times a day, depending on their own thoughts, their own vices and uh, attachments and addictions, etc. And then you take all of that and you multiply that by every day. And then, of course, the population goes down. But at the same time, sin is grievous and sin is offensive and sin is plentiful in every generation since Adam. All of this is our fault as humans. All of this is our weaknesses as His creatures. All of these are grave offenses against our God, and yet He still sends His Son for the sake of our salvation. Yet He still desires our salvation. Yet He still loves you perfectly. Yet He still desires you to be with Him and to participate in His perfect life forever. And so let Him give us this opportunity, this reward, this perfect salvation that is truly unearned, while at the same time is something given to those that, by way of grace, choose freely to receive His forgiveness and to make reparations, to give Him thanksgiving, and to worship Him in the way that He desires. So, we are able to give due worship, due thanksgiving, and even due propitiation to God, but only because Jesus, 
the second person of the Holy Trinity offers himself as the victim and is himself the one offering in the priest uh, in, in, in unity with the Holy Church. And so because of this, we are able to give such profound and perfect and infinitely valuable worship and thanksgiving and propitiation to our God. But now let us move to today's episode on petition. Petition, you might also hear me refer to it as impetratory uh, effects or, or impetratory prayer, etc. Uh, this is, again, just another word for petition. The idea is that we are asking God, we are begging God, we are beseeching God to pour out His graces or a particular grace. What is the way in which we do this? And how does this particularly relate to the Mass itself? And so I want to speak about various fruits that are offered in every Mass and who those fruits are in a sense, uh, given or dished out to, if you will, uh, for the sake of their own betterment and salvation. However, before we do, I want to cover a few different uh, introductory remarks as well as a few different quotes that I find very important but also very beautiful in terms of petition in relation to the Mass. Quote from Monsignor Gurr, page 188, the Mass has always and everywhere been regarded as the most efficacious means to obtain assistance in all the necessities and concerns of life. The Mass has, again, always and everywhere been regarded as the most efficacious means to obtain assistance in all the necessities and concerns of life." End quote. Do we actually enter into every Mass with this understanding? Do we realize the power that is placed into our hands in the sense of asking and petitioning our God for the salvation of perhaps somebody that we know, for the, the conversion of our enemies, for the health, for the, uh, for, the, for the betterment, mentally, physically, or otherwise. The Mass is a powerful tool. It's a powerful, life-giving event making present the sacrifice of our Lord. But in addition to this, it also is something that we should understand is a means, a source of power, of prayers answered that is placed in our hands. And so how should we look at this? Uh, and as, as well, how should we ask for these things that we desire and need in this life? In Mass, Christ is in the priest, but he's also in the people. Sacramentally, he is in the Eucharist. As well, he is in heaven petitioning and being a mediator on our behalf, us humans, us who are still very much in need of his salvation. However, because he is perfectly united to the Father and has merited all the graces and all the benefits and all of the heavenly rewards, as I have mentioned in the last class, he has full claim on all of them. So although he is there petitioning and offering himself as a gift to the Father in heaven, and although he is there sacrificing himself in the priest, and although he is in the people, in that the Holy Spirit unites them as the body of Christ, united to Christ, who is the head. Although all of these things are very true, Christ has already merited these things, and he still continues to give them himself to the Father. And so they are in his hands, yet he still petitions. He still is one. He is still perfectly united to the Father. In his human will, and then obviously his divine will, it is one will, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Second quotation, page 193 of Monsignor Gurr, he says, quote, Never should we separate our prayers from Jesus Christ, who prays for us, and in us, and to whom we pray. He prays for us as our high priest. He prays in us as our head. We pray to him as our God. End quote. In other words, our petition should always be united to Christ. In fact, we see this where Christ gives us something that I think uh, confuses a lot of people, perhaps. Because Christ himself says in John chapter 14, verse 14, If you ask anything in my name, I shall do it. John 14, 14, that is. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Well, what do we need the Mass for? It sounds as if we can very much get whatever we want just simply by asking God. But I would suggest that many people actually leave the church because, well, when they need something or when they see that they need something and they don't get it when they ask God, they decide God doesn't exist or God has abandoned them or maybe he exists, maybe he hasn't abandoned, he just doesn't really care that much. Or for some reason, God has just decided to ignore that person. And this is obviously a temptation uh, from Satan that is to lead you away from the faith, from truth. Maybe God just doesn't desire to answer the prayers the way that you desire him to answer his prayers. But in the end, he's the one that's all knowable. 
all-knowing, all-powerful. Perhaps we should trust enough in the all-powerful one and not trust so much in our very limited perspective, view, and knowledge, and certainly very limited wisdom. Therefore, what does this mean? Well, to ask for anything in my name, Christ says, in my name, in other words, in accordance with his will. Because Christ is not going to give us something that's going to be detrimental to us that we're asking for in prayer. In other words, if I pray, Lord, please give me this uh, new house. And let's say this new house is farther away from Mass. And I already have a hard time getting to Mass as it is. And having this house is only going to make it harder. And perhaps I'm going to miss more Sundays, commit more mortal sins, not go to confession as frequently, and therefore put myself in some ways, and in many ways, in trouble spiritually. And then perhaps uh, I, I might also get married shortly after I get this house. And I would also not be leading her as the man of the house should do, as the priest of the family, as the spiritual leader, not be leading her to Mass on those Sundays. And in the same way, I could be putting her own soul in jeopardy as well. And then what about the children, etc.? And so maybe it's not that God doesn't love me or doesn't want to give me this house so much as it is that He realizes my salvation is more important than this house. And so He decides that He will not answer that prayer. Or perhaps He decides He won't answer that prayer in the time limit that I want Him to. That He would give me that house, but only after X amount of years or X amount of months, etc. Once I've built up my spiritual practices and virtue, and therefore I would not miss those masses. You see, this is obviously just one very brief and very shallow example of perhaps the way in which God sees my good and desires it and pursues it and loves me enough to not answer every one of my prayers. But He does answer every one of my prayers that are offered in His name. Maybe not in the time limit that I want, but in His name. He offers them according to His will. And thank God, because again, His will, it's perfect. My will, very much not perfect. Let us continue. The priest, the faithful, both unite their petitions to the Holy Church, offering in union with Christ a most pleasing sacrifice to the Father. Nothing is more pleasing to the Father than the offering of His Son. And so, it is the, 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 the most pleasing part, of course, of the Mass is the sacrifice of Christ. It's us who are united to it. It's our humble and contrite hearts. It's our poor needs and petitions that we unite to this holy and pleasing sacrifice uh, of Christ to the Father. And so that is where our petitions take a particular, uh, particularly powerful, let's say, force. From the Mass, we don't only receive spiritual, supernatural graces that enable us a higher glory in heaven or that enable us uh, to, to increase in a particular virtue, but God can also just bestow temporal goods on us. For instance, He could decide to give us that house. Well, that house isn't necessarily directly related to my salvation, but that doesn't mean that God is not going to decide to give that to me if He so chooses and wills. And so we have faith and trust in what He offers, but know that God is not only concerned with your spiritual, uh, supernatural end. In other words, this, this, this heaven or hell difference. But rather, he is also very much, according to his will and his, his desires, uh, willing to bestow many blessings, natural goods and blessings on people, you know, to get a promotion at your job or to allow you to have uh, security in your job uh, or to have uh, an insurance company pay for something that perhaps they would not have paid for a previous year or for somebody else, etc. All of these things we find out at the final judgment. We find out the way in which God has worked in and around and through all things. We find the way in which His will has been fulfilled, even though constantly through our sins we have broken His desires and His wills, and we have rejected uh, what He desires from each of us individually. Yet, God in His abundant power and goodness is able still to correct and work and direct all things. And as we see in Scripture, all things, all things work for the good of those who persevere in faith, of those who remain close to Christ, even the suffering, even the difficulties. Uh, and in fact, to understand the church's understanding and theology of suffering, this is something that is very much needed in our day and age, especially in America, where we don't like to suffer at all. If we don't have our comforts, if we don't have exactly the temperature that we want in our home and outside of it, etc., then we uh, feel as if we've been robbed, we feel uh, as if something's wrong, or we feel as if we should complain, and none of this is true. 
all of this uh, is, 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 is very false. We should be able to accept everything that comes to us in recognition that God is sharpening us and strengthening us and helping us and blessing us through these difficulties and inconveniences if we remain in grace, if we persevere in faith. Another quote, page 191. Quote, the sacrifice of the Mass draws down upon the soul the light and the dew of heaven, so that all the fruits of the Holy Ghost, charity, joy, peace, patience, benignity, goodness, longanimity, mildness, faith, modesty, continence, chastity, etc., all from Galatians 5, 22, therein attain their most beautiful bloom. The Mass obtains for us grace, strength, and courage to perform good works, to overcome the flesh and its concupiscence, to despise the world with its allurements and threats, to resist the attacks of Satan, to endure not only patiently, but with joy and thanksgiving to God, the hardships and troubles, the sufferings and evils of this life, to fight the good fight, to furnish our course, and to persevere in the way of salvation to the end, and thus to bear off the crown of life and of eternal glory." End quote. How precious truly is the Mass, because we can render the true due uh, and, and trust and right and worthy worship to God, thanksgiving to God, reparation to God, but also we can make good and holy petitions to our Heavenly Father in a very pleasing way when we do so in accordance with His will and when we do so in the Mass. These prayers and the fruits that come to these prayers, most especially, are more bountifully given to us the more open our hearts are, the more contrite our hearts are, and the more worthily disposed we are to receive them. We need to understand that I have said over and over again that the Mass is of infinite value. In other words, that it is, there is no limitations to what it offers us, to the benefits that it has. However, I put limitations on, and the will of God puts limitations on. And so just because I ask for something in the Mass, even if it's a good thing, let's say I ask, I want to be as holy as I possibly can. I want to be the holiest person in the world. Now, will God make that happen right there and then? No, very, very likely no. And in fact, will He ever make that happen? Well, no, the holiest human person is always going to be the Blessed Virgin. So in other words, that wouldn't be petitioning something according to His will. But if I asked, give me an increase of uh, the virtue of religion, or give me an increase of the virtue of uh, continency or chastity, etc. These are good things to ask. I imagine God very much desires for you to increase in the virtue of chastity and purity or whatever. And so yes, He does give you benefit in blessing you and increasing that virtue. Now, not necessarily immediately. Perhaps He gives that at a particular time. Perhaps He does give it immediately. Perhaps He gives it at both different times. The point in saying all of this is that God gives most bountifully, though, to those that are open to receive it. Because if I ask for chastity, but in reality, I'm there because my parents made me come to that Mass. I'm there in word. I stand when I'm supposed to stand. I kneel when I'm supposed to kneel. But I'm not truly praying internally. Even if I sing every word, every letter, every syllable, every note properly of every song that's in that, uh, in, in that Mass, but I'm not there internally, then my heart is closed to nearly all, if not every one, of those graces that God desires to bestow upon me. So how much am I missing out? How many riches am I just leaving behind? It's almost as if you're taking all of these pearls and throwing them before swine in a sense, and that you just reject them because you aren't willing to get out of yourself enough in order to pray and to love and to cherish God in the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. And so that's what should be our goal, is to give ourselves as best we can, to overcome our own self-love, our own sloth, spiritual sloth and other kinds of sloth, our own uh, pride and selfishness and these kinds of things, so that we can love God the way that we should. So not only objectively in the Mass is God worshipped, the way that he should be. But also, we should come to the Mass with open and contrite and humble hearts. And the more that we do so, then we are able to worship him, being more united to the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Christ, in a way that is pleasing to him more and more because of his grace that dwells within us, because of his grace that elevates our nature. And again, to understand more on grace, please see the series on grace. 
Although God always hears us and desires to give many blessings, never more than in the holy sacrifice of the Mass does He hear and is moved to richly bestow His blessings. The Mass is, quote, most profound and significant expression of all our petitions, end quote. And that is both spiritual and temporal. Again, Christ, He, according to His will, bestows particular fruit upon us. Now, although, again, it's infinitely valuable, this sacrifice, this Mass, etc., because it is the sacrifice of Christ that took place 2,000 years ago, that doesn't mean that infinite graces are bestowed and applied to your soul at every Mass. It means that according to the amount of grace that God desires to bestow, and then also how open you are. So think of it in a sense of a shower. In other words, let's say you have a, a large pipe of water that's coming out of the shower faucet, and it could dump out all of this, all of this water uh, in order to clean you immediately. It would fill up the bathtub in two seconds, let's say. That's how powerful the water's coming out. But then there's a shower head on that that throttles and funnels out that water at, uh, 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 obviously, a far reduced uh, quantity and speed, etc. And then think of this as well, that if I'm only standing in part of that water, then only part of that water, even after it's been funneled, only part of what has been funneled is actually affecting and cleaning. In that same way, so if God decides that He wants to throttle down that grace in order to give to you in this particular way, according to His perfect will, again, we always trust Him, then the more open that we are, the more we receive the fullness of that fruit. But we could also be closed. But we could also, uh, you know, if we're not in the state of grace, of course, be absolutely rejecting of all of those uh, graces and merits of, of one sort called condign, as uh, will also be discussed in the series on grace, because it's also the series on merit. So uh, for more information on condign merit, please do see that series as well. So, how do we break this up theologically? In other words, what exactly are the different fruits and where are they directed uh, and to whom are they directed? And that's what I want to break into now. The Mass is instituted by Christ for the salvation of the world. This we know, this we have definitely talked uh, ad nauseum uh, of over. The Mass is offered by Christ in union with the Church, through the priest, with the people. Therefore, many fruits are offered by God to various people. The first of these four fruits is called the general fruit. The general fruit is the church as a whole receives a general fruit uh, from the Mass, from every Mass, because this is an act of the church. It is the church that is receiving a general fruit, and therefore, because we are all united to the church, then I still benefit from this general fruit that is offered in every Mass throughout the world at all times. Um, this is rather profound. This is the kind of unity that Christ gives us in binding us together in His grace. And so a Mass that's said in Japan is a Mass that still benefits me, maybe in a much smaller way than me actually going. In fact, I would, I would certainly agree with that. But still, that Mass benefits me. How profound is that? And that's because I am united to the body of Christ, that is, the church. The church as a whole receives the general fruit because Christ offered himself for her and because she offers Christ to God the Father in the liturgy. And she also offers him to the Father for her own sake. And in fact, if you read the Roman canon, as we will do in the second part of this series, as we get into the particularities, we will see where the, the, the church specifically prays at the very beginning of the first Eucharistic prayer for herself, first and foremost. But this does not leave out everybody that's not in the church. Well, how is that? If the general fruit goes to the church, then why is it possible that somebody that's outside of the church still benefits? One, people that are outside of the church, spiritually, because they are not in the, in the state of grace anymore, in other words, take somebody that's a Catholic, and let's say that Catholic, uh, along with, along with uh, his spouse, let's say, um, they've grown up, they're, 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 they're good Catholics, but they get a little nervous uh, when it comes to having another child, they begin using artificial contraception. Well, of course, this is an intrinsic evil. This is a mortal sin, uh, even when it's done within the context of marriage. And so, because this is mortally sinful, uh, and, and, and they know that this is not something that they should be doing, but they choose to do this anyway, then they are not in the state of grace. If they're not in the state of grace, then they're not able to receive 
the general fruit in the same way. In other words, they have, in a sense, removed themselves from the living membership of that church. They are still Catholic, absolutely, but they don't belong by way of grace because it's that grace that unites and binds to Christ and to each other in the church. Therefore, because of that, that mass can still benefit them for the sake of conversion. In other words, God can still give them certain types of graces that might move them. It might be another nudge. Hey, you should go to confession. Hey, you should stop using artificial contraception. Hey, you should speak about this with your spouse about alternative forms that would be more beneficial for y'all souls, etc. Okay? And then there is a- another benefit, and that is uh, that is indirect, and that is for everybody. The Mass is for the salvation of all the world. And so although the general fruit is direct, directly related to the, the members of the church, the living members of the church, it still benefits those that are in mortal sin and therefore have removed themselves from that uh, living membership, but then also it is for all those who should be members of the church. You see, and that's important because Everybody should be a member of the church. Christ founded one church, and then he prays in, the, in John chapter 17 that all be one, that we don't have a bunch of different splits between Protestants and Orthodox and Catholics and others, but rather that we all be one and that all of the nations be baptized. All of the nations and all of the peoples and all of the souls belong to the one holy Catholic church. That's what we should desire. That's what we should seek. Certainly, it's what we should ask for every time we come to Mass. But we should also realize that every Mass is offered for their conversions in an indirect way through what's called the general fruit. Okay. Again, the general fruit does directly and more fully benefit the church militant. That is, those of us in the church that are fighting the good fight, um, in other words, not those in purgatory, not those in heaven, but the church militant, those that are still fighting for their salvation by way of the grace of God and are living members in, uh, in the state of grace in the church. The general fruit direct, does directly and more f- fully benefit the church militant and the church suffering. In other words, it also benefits the souls in purgatory than the indirect benefit that goes to those that are in mortal sin, that need conversion to come back, or those that are simply in need of conversion to come for the first time into unity with the Holy Catholic Church. So the fruit also benefits more those of the faithful who are truly active and seeking holiness. So what this means, even if I am in a, if I take a trip to a country or to a small island, let's say, where there is mass that is not available at all, that mass is still being offered for my soul, that I'm still benefiting. And the holier that I am and the more that I'm seeking, the more that those general fruits that are given at every Mass to all of the faithful still benefit me. This is a profound unity that Christ has established. When he says, when when St. Paul tells us that we are many but one body, one body in Christ, that what he's speaking about is really an intimate union between each of us by the power of the Holy Spirit in the second person of the Holy Trinity in Jesus. Uh, And so understanding this profound, glorious, beautiful, uh, and so important union in the church really should help us to pray more for other people, to realize how united we are to them, to understand that my sins, even the smallest of my sins, affects everybody else. But my prayers, my sacrifices, my fastings, my giving, my mortifications, my ascetical practices, my spiritual and corporal works of mercy, all of these things, also that benefits everybody else in some way or another. Second, the special or also called particular fruit. The faithful who are present not only enjoy the general fruit, but also a greater share of heavenly blessings known as the special fruit. Because our devotion and disposition matter, Devout attendance is, quote, regarded as one of the most efficacious means to draw on ourselves and others the fullness of spiritual and temporal blessings, end quote. In other words, although all people in some way or another that are here on earth or in purgatory benefit from every single mass, and that in particular those members that are in the state of grace of the church in general receive blessings from the general fruit of every single mass, there is another fruit that is given to those that are particularly at a particular mass called this general or the special fruit. And so they are benefited from the general fruit of the mass and that and the, the, the particular fruit of that mass as well. And so the more humble of a heart, the more we receive. 
The Mass is life-giving. Again, what Christ merited 2,000 years ago, it is applied in the Mass. That is objective. But subjectively, how much of that, in terms of how open I am, all of that is very much based on my disposition, my investment, my own preparation, my thanksgiving afterwards, my appreciation and understanding, and my cooperation with the graces of God that help me to be well disposed to receive more graces. Therefore, keep in mind that there is this kind of objective good, this fruit that is given, but at the same time, we can lose or miss out on much of that if we aren't subjectively, personally, individually, well disposed to receive it. And so continue working toward that holiness. The holier you are, the more that you remember the importance of the Mass, the more that you understand, the more that you appreciate, the more that you prepare yourself, both physically by dressing well, spiritually by praying well, etc., then the more you'll receive. Additionally, every person should bring many intentions to each Mass in which they participate. So, considering that you receive this general fruit, and then also considering the fact that you receive this special and particular fruit, now would be the time. Gather your petitions before Mass. As you're praying, uh, let's say you, you should, receive, you should uh, uh, arrive at least five to ten minutes before Mass so that you can pray, your family can pray. But as you're preparing yourself and asking God to make your heart holy and humble and worthy, uh, asking that you and all of that you have in your worship and your thanksgiving and your sacrifices, etc., be united to Christ and to the priest in particular um, who is acting in the person of Christ in this Mass, that you also bring a list of petitions for the salvation of my children, for the conversion of my brother, for the health and the safety of my traveling cousin, for the enemies that are across the pond or wherever they might be, for those that hate me, for all of those that have wounded me, for those that I have wounded with my own sins. You see, bring a list. St. Port, Leonard Port Maurice, uh, he has a book on the Mass, and it's a very short one, it's a beautiful one, and in there he speaks about the importance of bringing many, many different intentions. Not just one, not just for your own good, or not just for uh, the good of somebody else, but, but rather think about all of the people that are so wounded in the world because of the abortions that they committed, or the, because of the, the, the abortions in which they participated because they're the doctor, or they're the mother that, that allowed it or, or chose it, uh, or they're the, the parents of the mother that, was, that forced that, that, that mother to have an abortion, etc. These kinds of things. Think about all of those that are participating in in vitro fertilization. Think about all of those that are uh, participating in the sex slave or uh, in, in, in sex trafficking and these kinds of things. Think of all of the people that are participating in all kinds of absolutely terrible and horrific sins. Think of the, the, all of the people that have voted for people that go uh, and support abortion or that support um, same-sex so-called marriage and these kinds of things. There are so many people that are suffering because of their sins, either through ignorance or willfully and knowledgeably choosing. But either way, they're ours to pray for. They're ours to help. They're those lost sheep for us to find. And in the same way, we also are lost in many different ways. And so pray for your own good, that you grow in that virtue that you know uh, is just something that you struggle with constantly, that you overcome those vices that you've consistently fallen into. And every time you go to confession, you continue to have to say the same old sins. I was envious. I gossiped again. I got super mad. I hated my brother. All of these things. Pray against them and offer them as petitions for everything that's necessary to grow in holiness and for everybody in this world to do the same, to know God, to love God, to serve Him in this life and in the next with everything that we are. Thirdly, the personal fruit. The personal fruit is in relation to the priest. You see, because of the ordination, that is, holy orders, the sacrament of holy orders, again, ordering the priest and conforming him, in a sense, to Christ in order to be able to ministerially uh, serve. Every person should bring, uh, excuse me, uh, because of the ordination, holy orders, of the priest, he is called to celebrate Mass in the name of Christ and of the Church. He has the most prominent role within the sacred liturgy. Therefore, the Mass is, quote, a never-failing fountain of salvation, open more especially to the celebrant than to anyone else. End quote. Just realizing that the priest, because of his particular role, because of that obligation that he has in offering it, as well as uh, that, that, that beautiful privilege that he has in offering it, uh, also receives a particular fruit from the Mass, and that is called the personal fruit. So again, we have the general fruit that is directly to all of the living members of the Church, 
except for those that are already in heaven, obviously. Um, and then you have indirectly to all souls. And then you have the particular or special fruit, and that is given to those that are actually attending the Mass in particular. And then you have the personal fruit that is to the priest himself for that particular role. And then you have the ministerial or mediatorial fruit. And that is the priest has a particular intention for each Mass. Perhaps you are aware of the mass intentions where somebody comes to the secretary and says, here's $5 or $10 or $100 or whatever. Uh, could you offer this mass for my cousin uh, who needs a, a heart transplant? And then that mass intention will be uh, brought by the priest as the objective mass intention for that mass. That doesn't mean that the priest doesn't have his own personal intentions that are other. That doesn't mean that the, the people in the pews shouldn't also have, as I said, their entire list of mass intentions as well. They all should. But that mass in a particular way, uh, in a mediatorial, in a ministerial way, is offered. And so the fruit that would be given in relation to, or response to that uh, speaks of uh, the, 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 the objective mass intention itself. A mass intention from the priest is a practice uh, from the beginning of the church. And then also know that Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, the priest must, a parish priest, must offer the mass for his flock. One of them. Perhaps, you know, nowadays we might have four masses on, on a particular Sunday or on every Sunday. But one of those must be offered for the people in general. In other words, if somebody said, I want this mass for the intention of my cousin's heart transplant, then that secretary would have to say, no, only uh, one mass on, on Sunday has to be for the people. And therefore there wouldn't be um, that uh, personal fruit for that mass, for the exception of the personal fruit would just be for all of the people uh, of that parish. So now, having gone over the general fruit, having gone over the special or particular fruit, having gone over the personal fruit, and having gone over uh, the ministerial or mediatorial fruit, let us look briefly at the practice, uh, the practical benefits of Mass. And these are many, so we're only going over a few, and please keep that in mind. Uh, right now, we are kind of in the process of wrapping up the first part of this series. This will be the last episode of The Bird's Eye View uh, theology of the Mass. From this point on, in our next episode, we will begin with the particularities, what it is that that priest is wearing and why we say the sign of the, make the sign of the cross and all of these things. So, practical benefits. The Mass is both a catechist, that is a teacher, and a curriculum. That is something to be studied for the sake of our own benefit. And I mean this obviously spiritually in the sense that the Mass teaches us about God. It teaches us about life and humanity and salvation and morality. The Mass teaches us so much because we are fed from the words of Christ and we are fed from the Old Testament and the New Testament at the Ambo. And then we are fed from the Eucharist itself and we are actually made present there at the sacrifice of Christ. And so it teaches us when we are well engaged and the more that we are over time, it teaches us more and more a truly about our God. It is the revelation of God himself. As I, as I said, we have uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of this points to Christ. You see, in all of this sacred scriptures, this is God revealing himself to us. But the fullness of revelation is Jesus Christ himself. That's the fullness of revelation. The Bible, as holy as it is, as inerrant, as infallible, as important, doesn't hold a candle to the second person of the Holy Trinity, the God-man, and so Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. Therefore, God becoming man, that is a profoundly important, necessary part of our salvation and of salvation history in general. But if that's the case, then we live that in some ways because God becomes sacramentally, eucharistically present there on the altar at every Mass. You see, so it's, it's, it's as if we, we are living out the most necessary and most beautiful and most and fullest uh, parts of our entire salvation history every Mass. But the most important, of course, is that the fact that uh, the, 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 the Eucharistic sacrifice is the actual sacrifice of Christ made present there on that altar. We continue. The Mass is entirely centered on Christ himself. From the sign of the cross to the readings to the Eucharist, all of this is about Christ. This teaches us that our very existence, our words, our thoughts, 
our movements, our breath, is truly, should truly be about, around, centered on Christ. We must use the Mass to help us to better understand, but also the graces, the fruits that come from that, how important it is to be Christocentric, and how to make ourselves from that Christocentric. That is, to be Christ-centered. Make the center of your life our Lord. And in doing so, you will make other people find God and see God. You, in a sense, will be the revelation of God to others, just like so many of the saints have done uh, who we venerate. Second, the Mass lifts us from the earth to raise our hearts and minds to God because it is Christ's worship of the Father. This teaches us that life is about God, not about our careers, our families, our preferences. In other words, the idea is that God becomes man so that man might become God. And I don't mean by that that we become members of the Most Holy Trinity, that now uh, because we're in heaven it's, it's not three divine persons but rather uh, you know, a billion divine persons. No, no, not at all. The Trinity does not change. God is the same. He's the beginning and the end uh, at all times. So he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But he shares that life in an intimate, profound way where he, in a sense, uh, enters into uh, the saint uh, and, 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 and purifies and glorifies and elevates that. That's why understanding the theology of grace is so important. Because without grace, we can't be elevated. We can't have the life of God. We can't be tabernacles where God dwells within us without sanctifying grace. We need that grace because it elevates our nature. It works on and with, but it pulls up, in a sense, our human nature. And so we need that grace, and that grace flows through the church entirely, and in particularly and primarily through the Mass to all people, as we've already said in relation to the general fruit and special fruit, and etc. Number three, the Mass centers and makes present again the sacrifice of Christ, as I have said. This is a beautiful motto, I believe, of the Carthusians, which is a religious order, or rather, strict uh, religious order. Their motto is, Crux stat dum volvitor mundus. That is, the cross stands still while the world revolves around it. Again, with the idea of being Christocentric, Christ-centered. That is, we don't understand, we always take for granted in some way or another because of our weaknesses and our ignorance, the true importance of the event of the sacrifice of Christ. Everything should revolve around the cross. Our understanding of suffering, our acceptance of the will of God, our acceptance of everything that occurs to us, good things and bad things, our life, our words, our thoughts, our friends, everything in some way or another is only possible, is only still possible, is only, uh, only it could ever possibly benefit us in some way in heaven or even on earth, only by way of the cross. Everything is the cross. And obviously we don't have time to explain many of those things here and now in this series, but realize the more that you meditate upon the passion of our Lord and specifically on his crucifixion on the cross itself, the more you will be able to forgive, the more you'll be able to accept, the more you'll be united and conformed to him, the more you will be able to live out God's will, the more you will desire everything uh, that God desires, the more you will desire to do everything that is, that is necessary to not offend him, the more easily you will fall in love with God in every way and every facet, the more you will be inflamed with this divine charity that is a gift from God, but one that we must put into practice because it is a theological virtue. That is a virtue that directly relates uh, with God. God promised that he is with us until the end of the age and through Mass, especially in the Eucharist, he is. Matthew 28, 20 is where Christ promises this. And he has not abandoned this promise. Although he might be in heaven, he still works through that priest in a particular way. He still dwells within the souls of those in the state of grace. He still offers that holy sacrifice in the priest, through the priest, as the church in general, the body of Christ, towards God the Father. Uh, so all, understanding and knowing all of this, as well as the fact that he is in every tabernacle in the world that has the Eucharist in it, that is Christ himself. That is our Lord being with us and fulfilling his promise in Matthew 28. Number four, the Mass fills us with fruits. This teaches us that the merits of Christ's blood are limitless. 
And the perfect love of God is such that he desires more than our salvation. He desires to clothe us, to bedeck us uh, in the finest treasures and the most beautiful virtues and riches of heaven. Moreover, the te this teaches us the generosity, the kindness, the liberality that is giving liberally, giving very freely uh, of God himself, as well as this teaches us of the beauty of God. Oh, wow, how great it will be that in heaven, by the grace of God, all of us enter into those pearly and narrow gates in order to contemplate forever after the beauty of God. That's heaven. And we don't even realize remotely what that means or how precious uh, that will be to us, but that is the beauty of God. It is something so profound that we will contemplate forever. And I believe as Bishop Archbishop Sheen says, and never get bored. Number five. This centrality on Christ, the abundant fruit and the spiritual food, the scripture and the Eucharist all enable us to make Christ present to others. We feed on him that we may become like him. They enable us to find God in our daily lives because the mass teaches us how to look beyond ourselves and this world in order to find the magnificence of God. Therefore, after mass, we are to bring this same mentality into ordinary life. Where is God in my neighbor, in the store, in my speech, in all the events that make up my days? They enable us to carry out our cross as well. Recognizing God suffered for us teaches us to suffer for Him and with Him. The frustrations, the difficulties, the confusions, and the pains of this life become lighter knowing, one, Jesus suffered far, far, far more. Two, God truly is with us in the Mass, in our souls through sanctifying grace, in the Eucharist in particular, and in many different ways. Three, the sufferings and crosses of this life conform our hearts to His if we remain faithful, again, in that faith, and accept it with love. They are to be born, that is, carried. They are to be cherished. They are to be embraced, not avoided, not hated, hated or, and not hidden in any way. The Mass will teach you to accept. The Mass will teach you to be humble and contrite. The Mass will teach you to be holy. The Mass will teach you, but open yourselves, invest yourselves, prepare yourselves, participate as best as you can. And what I mean by that is not externally only. Yes, it's good to sing along. Unless you can't sing, then participate in other ways. Yes, it is good uh, to, to, to be there and to stand and to kneel, and all of these things are important. But participate internally first and foremost. That is what is most important. That is what is most necessary, to participate in the Mass actively, internally, and then also externally within the restrictions and the rubrics and the rules and the, the commands of Holy Mother Church. We should not make the Mass our own thing. We should make obedience to Holy Mother Church, the way in which we are able to worship ever more glorifying God uh, with greater humility and contrition. Therefore, we have spoken about in this episode in particular, the Mass as the greatest form of petition. Not only is it the greatest form of worship, thanksgiving, reparation, but also petition. And we spoke about how there are four different kinds uh, of fruits that are particular to each Mass, and that is the general fruit, the special fruit, uh, the, per the personal fruit, as well as the ministerial or mediatorial fruit. And that each of us should come with many, many different uh, petitions. Again, in particular relation to uh, both the general fruit as well as the special fruit. And we should always understand that so many graces flow, uh, all the graces, in fact, throw for the salvation of the world through the church. And in particular, in a spe special and a primary way, so many of them flow by way of the Mass, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And so, on a practical level, the Mass benefits us in countless ways if we, as we have just enumerated only a few of them. It emphasizes the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord. It expresses the love of God in such a touchable, visible, clear way. It is truly a manifestation of the beauty of God Himself. It makes clear that God is with us, that God is near us, and that God desires to elevate us and to make us His entirely. Before we end this episode, let us just look over once again, in a very brief way, what we have covered over these last six episodes. First, I covered the importance of the virtue of religion and justice, the fact that we owe God due, uh, worthy worship, and we can't provide that on our own. And so God, in His great goodness, decides to make that possible by dying for us so that it's possible for us to be in union with God again, and then giving us a form of worship 
to make present that actual sacrifice that happened 2,000 years ago in the Mass, and to apply what he merited, what he earned, the graces, the benefits, the heavenly rewards, etc., in that holy sacrifice 2,000 years ago, to apply them throughout the generations at every Mass to all of the souls throughout the world for the sake of salvation, for the sake of greater sanctity, for the sake of us to be made like God. Then we also discussed uh, the importance that through the Mass, we live out the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So we expressed the importance of sacrifice in general, what it was. We showed both uh, that that is fulfilled in the sacrament of Christ himself, and then we showed how that sacrifice of Christ is something that is made present in every one of the Masses. And then we also showed how both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see everything pointing towards the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the Eucharist in particular, but even the Mass in general uh, in various ways, starting from many of the earliest figures, uh, and events of the Old Testament and moving forward from there. That Christ is truly, his sacrifice is the summit, the perfect, perfect sacrifice that fulfills all of those Old Testament sacrifices where millions or at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions, millions of lambs were slaughtered uh, and, and goats and bulls and uh, bread and wine was poured out and broken and all of these things. We also showed that uh, sacrifice has to do with worship, thanksgiving, uh, reparation and petition primarily that those are the four ends and that in every single mass those are perfectly uh, given because Christ is the principal actor and sacrificer and mediator and priest. He is the eternal high priest and he works and sacrifices in the priest who works in the er, in, in place of the church and therefore uh, the liturgy, the most sacred liturgy, is this action of Christ united to the church and uh, all of us offering and uniting ourselves and our sacrifices and worships and all of these things uh, in union with the church. And it's that Holy Spirit that continues to bind us and unite us. Only at the final judgment will we truly know the extraordinary amount of graces that God has bestowed on countless people, families, and nations via the Mass. Only at the final judgment will you truly know how many souls are saved because of the way in which you participated in Mass, because you decided to show up early, to pray well, to come to, to daily Mass as well, uh, to give thanks after Mass, and all of the ways in which these small acts on your part, only in cooperation and made possible by God's grace, are going to benefit you in the way in which you participate and receive more from every subsequent Mass that follows. Uh, and so live out the Mass. Cherish with everything that you are the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. Thank God that we have this form of worship, that we can participate uh, in this form of worship. And so may we do so well, always giving thanks to God for what we have and never taking it for granted. Invite others to the Mass, non-Catholics, uh, fallen away Catholics, everybody that you can, get them to the Mass. It is something that is truly transform uh, transformational, uh, truly powerful. The more that we get people to experience the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the more the world will be growing in holiness and towards God and away from damnation, condemnation, and judgment. May God richly bless you. May the Blessed Virgin keep you, help you, always to worship God with everything that you are, specifically in the Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.